And that's the thing, like you said, everybody's focusing on this high TH. What's the highest THC you can achieve? And it's the wrong road, if you ask me. It's the wrong avenue to go down. You know, yeah. we're, we'll find here in the future that one-to-ones, two-to-ones, multiple cannabinoids is definitely the future. It's the real medicine. And honestly, it feels a whole lot better. This is Lit and Lucid, your after-work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back. Consume your favorite cannabis products and get cozy cozy in the the lit and lucid lifestyle. Welcome everybody to the Lit and Lucid podcast. It is Thursday and you know we are recording another episode of the show. Joining us today is David Miller and Eric Meltzer of Flow Gardens. Flow Gardens is an indoor cultivation specializing in premium flower in East Tennessee. They even won a High Times Cannabis Cup Award this year for their blue cheese number 12, which is super cool. Eric has been a technically savvy cultivator for decades, and Miller has run sales and operations in corporate America and for small to mid-sized businesses for over 20 years. Their yin and yang approach to cannabis has created a business plan focused on quality, health, and wellness. We're super excited to chat with David and Eric today. We've never spoken with a cultivator in Tennessee, so this is really fun for us. With that, welcome, guys. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, welcome, Eric and David. Uh, like Lucy said, you know, we're happy to have you join us from Tennessee. It's going to be a, a first for us. And we're kind of excited to learn more about your guys' business and uh, what you guys got going on down there. And then also, you know, the prospects of hopefully getting some type of adult use or medical cannabis, hopefully in the future. And I know uh, we'll plug that in later. But, you know, um, I liked your guys' little about us, you know, and the, and the two of you kind of are the yin and yang and, and Lucy and I and the, the Lit and Lucid podcast is certainly big fan, fans of that concept and fans of, you know, finding balance in all aspects of life. So first off, that that's really dope about you guys. And I think, you know, having that that duo really helps to make you guys a successful business and, and it shows through. So uh, with that, you know, let's learn more about each of you. And, and if you want, Eric, why don't you start with you? You know, how did you guys, you know, how did you get involved with the cannabis industry and, and up here so i've like you said been cultivating the plant for um over 20 years now and i finally it was more on a hobby scale and i finally found the hemp genetics being good enough to where i can do an indoor flower market and sell the flower and that started about four years ago and from then uh we have focused on genetics and quality and been crossing plants back and forth and um yeah, now now we're just selling it around the country and creating our brand, Flow Gardens. There you go. How about yourself, David? Yeah, and I'll I, I say this quite frequently. Eric's a very very humble guy. He worked for um, his, his prior CBD company started. They had funding from a publicly traded cannabis company, and um, he did say he started on you know just kind of a hobby basis, but he learned to grow on a commercial scale with with a lot of resources. So. Um, his, his ability to, to grow on a larger scale is, is amazing. And again, I'm just touching the surface with him, but, uh, or scratching the surface, but he's, he's got a lot of information in there. So you got to try to get questions from him. <laughs> um, my, my situation is a little bit different. I was, uh, 
born and raised in, in East Tennessee. I moved to Atlanta. I graduated from, from Tennessee and ran a financial services and accounting firm after working for corporate America for five years and uh, was really just burnt out. Um, and after I, you know, stepped down as a CEO and was just chairman of the board, I really thought about what I want to do in life and what, what I have passion and purpose around. And um, it came down to the cannabis industry. There's a lot of opportunity in the marketplace. I have a lot of personal conviction through um, some health um, issues that I've encountered through uh, personally and family members and, and really close friends. And so I, I met Eric uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, a little less, and stars aligned and we we joined up and it's it's all history from there. So <laughs> Cool. Well, I have to say, Eric, like he said, you're very humble because we got your some CBD flower from you guys, and it was amazing. I mean, normally CBD flower, you know, it's it's kind of it smells like dirt to me, honestly, and it doesn't taste very good. And you had like trichomes on the buds, and like it's so fresh, it smelled amazing, it smoked really smooth, like a plus job. Like that's some high quality CBD flowers. So you're very humble. And I think if anybody tried this flow gardens, they would be highly impressed as well. So tell us, so you said only a year and a half ago did flow gardens start. Tell us a little bit more about that. And then maybe Eric can touch more on your cultivation practices. Yeah. So, uh, flow gardens is a little over two years old. Um, so our other business partners are horticulture lighting group is Steven Johnson and Amit. And they approached me right over two years ago, two and a half years ago, about starting an R&D facility for their lights and also growing the plant, because that's always been an interest to me, you know, finding the best way to grow this plant, whether it be any method. So that's kind of our facility in a whole. We have a living soil room. We have a deep water culture room, a flood and drain room, and also a top feed room, and then a double tier room. So we're trying all the different methods. The only one we really haven't tried yet, or I've tried that we haven't implemented is aquaponics growing with fish, mm -hmm. uh, which is coming up soon, I hope. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're just, uh, but yeah, we're just pretty much just doing the best we can. <laughs> I think it's pretty fascinating that, you know, and that, you know, you did answer the question great and we're going to still dig deeper though. You know, I think, um, I think what you guys are doing is, is pretty incredible and just, you know, I like that you guys are approaching this almost from an from R&D perspective, because uh, I'm sure it gives you guys a lot of flexibility. I want to backtrack a bit, though, and, and let's talk more about the genetics aspect of it, because like Lucy said, you know, this this isn't your standard hemp flower. I can I can attest to it. We actually we we uh, we consumed some of it and, and fell in love with it. You know, the flavors there, the smells there, um, you know, the looks of it. It does look like it's like hand trimmed. It's like really incredible. It comes like you like it, I, we were like truly blown away that like the quality of this flower was like so stellar. And so knowing that, you know, I've come across, uh, you know, there's plenty of hemp here in Colorado and, and a lot of it goes obviously to, to extraction and, and rightfully so to, to make CBD or something else, but it's not the same, you know, and I know people try to sell hemp flour and it, it just, it is not the same of what you guys have done. So tell us a little bit more about maybe the breeding program or kind of how you came about to, to having these hemp genetics and then kind of, I'm sure there's a lot of R and D just to get them up to this point, right? Definitely. Yeah. Like we're four plus years in and we talk about it all the time. It's kind of like a blessing in disguise being in a legal state because this is what we have to work with, yeah. you know, and at first it was frustrating. I guess frustrating is not the right word, but you know, we want to grow marijuana, but we can't. So we're digging deeper 
we're having to test every strain that we produce and look at all the chemo types. And what we're finding is, you know, different cannabinoids. We, we just found a plant with high CBC levels, upwards of 3%, which we honestly don't know what kind of medicinal value is, but it's still pretty neat, you know, and then CBG is another one. So it's kind of like a, it's a, like an Easter egg hunt. Every day's Christmas <laughs> when we're pheno hunting, cause you never know what you're going to get. We just pop a bunch of seeds and uh, you get some golden eggs in there. So it's really neat as far as the genetic side goes. There's a lot in this plant that we still haven't figured out for sure. I almost kind of like that you guys are taking this different approach to it because it is like in Colorado, um, there's hardly, you know, there is a focus and I can't, you know, I'll have to give it some credit. There is a focus on minor cannabinoids, but obviously a lot of the market's dominated by THC and it's like everybody, you know, the, the gates opened and everybody just ran to produce the highest potency THC product they possibly could. And everybody raves about, you know, if it's over 30% and, and being a former sales rep, you know, I, I got to see firsthand, there's a lot of strains that don't even come close to going over 20. And so, uh, you know, just the, the mindset here in Colorado and other states too has, has kind of went this whole other direction of trying to chase after, you know, maximizing THC. And in the meantime, we've forgotten about all these minor cannabinoids and in even like one-to-one strains of THC and CBD or something, I'm sure provide plenty of medicinal benefit, uh, but they're hard to find in Colorado. So I do like that you guys almost, you know, by the nature of it, were forced to, to play with these minor cannabinoids and you're probably actually gaining a lot more, a lot more education and value working with this plant by not just, you know, cultivating for one cannabinoid, you're having to really work with the plant to maximize it in other areas. Exactly. Yeah. We're uh, like what you were saying with one-to-ones, that's really my research and my end goal. Even when we do become medicinal, that's what I'm focusing on because I had an eye-opening experience out there in Colorado. What was that? It was back in 2018 and I bought some canatonic and it was a one-to-one and me and my buddy at the time, we smoked a joint in the morning of it. And it's like, wow, you know, I can feel great. I feel high, but I feel normal. You know, I can still function. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like you said, everybody's focusing on this high TH. What's the highest THC you can achieve? And it's the wrong road, if you ask me. It's the wrong avenue to go down. You know, yeah. we're, we'll find here in the future that one-to-ones, two-to-ones, multiple cannabinoids is definitely the future. It's the real medicine. And honestly, it feels a whole lot better, you know, the feeling you get from it, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I agree. Absolutely. It does. I mean, there was a time where I would kind of look for CBD, you know, high CBD flower in the dispensaries and they honestly didn't even have it. Mm -hmm. So we kind of stopped looking. But I mean, there's definitely medicinal benefits for it. Absolutely. Yeah. To kind of play on that. Actually, we invited some friends over when we first got you guys' product and we were playing, um, Weedopoly. Well, or, yeah, Ganja Land. Oh, Ganja actually, Land. we're playing I'm Ganja sorry. Land, which is like Candyland, but like Ganja stuff, obviously. It's like fun <laughs> game. But we were, you know, we were smoking weed, obviously, have friends over and like, you know, the game just carries on and, and the game has little things in there where like you're supposed to smoke. So I'll admit, you know, we were like pretty lit. And, and like, uh, I think something else came up and like, they're like, you know, pass the joint around the table and smoke again. And we're like, we're passing this, this flipping CBD joint guys. Cause like, this is too much. And it was really incredible that we passed around you guys this flower and we're smoking it and it totally worked. It totally like brought us back to earth. Uh, we were like way, way more functioning than we were before. And, and it's just kind of like, you know, it's a funny antidote, but it does show you that there is value in both. You know, THC can get you too far out there and CBD can kind of help bring you back. And And I think that's something that not a lot of consumers may be aware of. And, and just because there's, you know, a complete lack of education around CBD in general and, and you know, the, the synergy of the two. So 
I can totally vouch that I think there is a lot of room to, to kind of grow in that one-to-one, two-to-one area or just, you know, exploring cannabinoids mixed together with the full profile of the plant. So I, I do love that you guys are, you know, approaching it in this manner. It's pretty incredible. And then one more question, Eric, while we're talking about cultivation. So I thought that that was interesting, right? You have your living soil, premium, small batch cannabis, and then you also have the hydroponics. And then you said you guys were, you know, testing some other things as well in terms of cultivation practices. So do you see a different, like in the quality of these types of cultivations or like taste or why are you doing this? Or like, how does that all work? Because typically I feel like if there's a cultivator, you're sticking to one method and that's just how you grow. Yeah, to me, that's just boring. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm doing all the different methods just to see the way the plants react. And we found things in our data that we didn't expect. Right? So, for example, our deep water culture produces consistently the highest cannabinoids from anywhere to four to seven percent higher on the same exact cultivar in a different room. So, that's probably one of the most interesting things I've found. And then in the living soil, it seems like every flower we grow in there, every strain has this Christmas tree like profile, the way it looks. But you grow that same strain in, say, a rock wool room, a flood and drain with rock wool, it takes on a whole different form, you know? <laughs> and to me, that's it's really interesting to see it. Uh, the flavors, even the terpenes kind of change a little bit. <laughs> like I'm noticing with these new flavors, I had this new one called Unicorn Butter that we grew in the living soil room and it almost had like a mothball type smell, which sounds terrible mm-hmm. and it wasn't great, but now we're growing it, um, in the tent over here and the rock wool and a flood and drain. And it has a whole different profile to it. It still has a little bit of that, but it takes on more of a sweeter smell. So there's a lot of intricacies and that's just part of learning this plant and trying to, to get to that next level and, and produce a higher quality plant. In my opinion. That's pretty fascinating. I think that's cool that, you're able to see firsthand, you know, the differences in, in just growing mediums and, and just imagine, you know, the knowledge that that's going to give you later, you know, when the, when the market does come around and you guys are able to go online. I think you guys are learning a lot. You know, let's talk about that, David. I know, um, you know, I know you're probably more involved with the business aspect of it and kind of helping to kind of put this out there in the market and kind of get it places. You know, what does that look like these days for, you know, CBD flour? I know there's not, you know, a system necessarily put into place, but, you know, what's the, you know, what's the sales aspect look like? Yeah, the, the distribution is uh, aspect and penetrating the market is it's difficult right now. And the biggest thing, and y'all y'all kind of alluded to it, was is, was just education. You know, we'll walk in there, and you know, we went to a dispensary for a, a senator that's running um, a local senator, state senator's running um, in in a dispensary, and I was looking at the dispensary's uh, flower. At, at the event and it was brown mm-hmm. and it had no smell. I mean, it looked like you could just pick it up and go like this and, <laughs> you know, it would just like evaporate, yeah. <laughs> turn it, turn into dust. So it's, it's really educating the, the public on, you know, CBD is cannabis, mm-hmm. you know, marijuana is just a negative connotation for lack of better words, because of the whole war on drugs thing. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of history, reefer madness, you know, all, all that stuff. So, um, educating them on what real pure CBD is. Cause you go into a lot of, you know, dispensaries or vape type shops and their flower is, and that's a whole other conversation, but their flower is sprayed with, you know, HHC, THCO, um, Delta eight and which, you know, is being banned in a lot of States. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it's, it's really just educating um, the shop owners, um, bringing in the product, kind of like y'all saw, y'all were amazed when you saw the flower. Like, is this yeah. real CBD flower? Or are, they, <laughs> are they playing a trick on yeah, me here? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I checked a couple of times. I'm like, I don't know what this is, but it's really nice. <laughs> yeah, it's like super nice presentation. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we have a, have a gentleman that works for us at, at Flow Gardens. He's got He's got a purple heart and he's, um, you know, so whenever we have a, a program for, for military veterans to uh, just show appreciation for what they've done for our country and relative to how we, we price our, our products, um, what they have access to. And, you know, so we, we gave him, you know, six or seven different strains and, you know, he came back the next day and, you know, the, the health effects that it had on him, he were, were amazing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, just education, education, education is what we're trying trying to preach on. Yeah. And that was one thing I noticed with Flow Gardens is your mission is, you know, health and wellness. And that's one of the reasons why I consume myself. Um, I'm a cannabis yoga teacher, so we like to incorporate cannabis into our yoga practice. And it's all about health and wellness. It's not about getting high. It's about the mind-body-spirit connection with the cannabis plant. And you can definitely get that with just CBD, and people just don't realize that. You know, oftentimes, even in our classes, we'll take like one puff or two. like, And you only need a little bit. You don't have to be getting high to enjoy the benefits of the plant. So I'm glad that you guys are incorporating that in your mission. And I was also thinking about that too. That was my question. You know, what do consumers in Tennessee, you know, know about cannabis? Are there a lot of stigmas around the plant there? Like how heavy of a, you know, road are we going down to get to the point of, you know, destigmatizing this plant in your state? I I think it's going to take a long time to destigmatize, you know, marijuana um, in general, not not just Tennessee. Uh, the good thing about Tennessee and it not being legal yet is that um, we get to look at all these different states and how they're implementing and promulgating these laws and what what is a good way to do it, what is a not so good way to do it. Mm-hmm. So whenever it, it does come to the the General Assembly and it's it's vote and it's voted on, we can actually have a good medicinal bill that's that's passed. I talked to you know, a couple dozen uh, state congressmen and senators last session in Nashville. And surprisingly, um, they were almost all of them were for um, a medicinal legalization. Um, at least that's what they told me. Um, <laughs> now, a lot of them aren't for recreation. Um, so that's that's another step. But we're more focused on the medicinal benefits. If we can get that going mm-hmm. and then we, we Eric and I really feel like we can set the stage for Tennessee. Hey, it's legalized. We want to be one of the most uh, highest integrity type brands known in delivering one to ones. So you can have that balance as opposed to when it was legalized in some of the earlier states. Like you mentioned, there's this race to the top for the highest THC. Yeah. We feel like if we start that from the beginning and we're a very high quality provider, we can get a lot of these dispensaries and educate them on the benefits of, of the one-to-ones and the other alternative cannabinoids, then it'll, then it'll help change the marketplace in, in a really good way. Yeah, I could I could see that. And and one thing too, I was going to note with you guys kind of getting ahead of the curve here too, um, cannabis is still very much, and it's probably going to be a state-by-state issue. You know, We talk about federal legalization and we're going to, possibly ask you guys' thoughts later on that. But um, I think the initial rollout and how this is going to work is a state-by-state thing and interstate commerce may not even become a factor. And so 
at some point, somebody's going to have to grow marijuana in Tennessee. And so it's good that you guys are, you know, figuring that out now, you know, the climate, we've talked about that in some past episodes of like the climate of the area totally dictates how you grow it and it totally changes the strains. And so I think you guys are just what you're doing right now too, is just really setting yourself up for success later of figuring out how, how can we do this and how can we start developing these systems now? So you know, kudos to you guys for, you know, taking that. And really, I'm sure there's still a lot of stigma to even what you guys are doing um, just in general, because you guys are having to probably kind of like break the ice to a lot of people of even, you know, people understanding that CBD is cannabis and hemp is cannabis and the plant is the same. It's just whether it's expressed in THC or CBD or a combination of the two, it doesn't change the plant. So um, I think that's a big step. Yeah, Eric, do you want to share that story about law enforcement, about what they thought we were and, and all, all that at our, at our grow? Yeah. yeah, so so where we grow is actually uh, north in Oxville. It's in a little town called Maynardville, very little town. And that's where HLG, the lighting company, is located. And so Steve went to their town meeting, um, and everybody was there, the police, everybody. And it came up, and they, they thought we were growing marijuana there. And that we were had some kind of loophole and shipping it out of state, and they were totally okay with it because <laughs> we we're bringing jobs to the town. <laughs> so oh if that tells you anything, I mean, the people are ready for it. There's yeah. no doubt. It's not like we're in the Stone Age here. I mean, I know everybody knows smokes weed, but it's just we can get these senators to either retire or get somebody in here with a half a brain yeah. to get us sort of legalization. Yeah, and I got a I got a quick story. I'll piggyback on that real quick, Eric. Is that just to speak to the fact of how people's mindsets are, are shifting is whenever I was at the general assembly, there was a, um, I think he was a congressman. I don't think he's a Senator, but, um, he had been on law enforcement for, I want to say 40 years before he became a public servant. And so he was very much of the mindset, you know, marijuana is bad drugs, bad, um, with no legalization, but, a funny thing happened to him a year and a half ago. One of his um, neighbors, longtime neighbors of you know 20, 30 years, they had moved, uh, they, they bought a home in Florida and she came back. They were very well-known doctors in the community. Um, she came back and she said, Bud, you know, I just want to let you know that, you know, I went to a dispensary and I, you know, I'm using cannabis, you know, to manage my pain and nothing else has worked and all my pain is gone. Mm -hmm. And so having this conversation with him, this, this gentleman has been totally against in the law enforcement, totally against, you know, marijuana for, for decades. And he actually sees what it does to people that he knows and people that he cares about. And now, now his mind's it's, it's shifted. Mm -hmm. So those conversations are happening everywhere. And that's why, we just need need to get a good bill to vote on, and and I, you know, you get rid of the the higher level politicians that are more worried about posturing than actually doing what the people want. Then I I think it's it's going to come sooner than later, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, we we discussed that in our season opener with yeah, New Hampshire Representative Tim Egan, and and they're having a very similar problem there in New Hampshire. They just can't seem to get. Uh, legislation to pass to, to open it up. But we talked about the idea of the, the traditional path that this follows is like a decriminalization and then a move to a medical and then uh, a natural move to, to recreational. And it's pretty telling. Almost every single state has the same, you know, the same tripping point of like, they don't want to do it until they finally do it. And then they pass medical. And it's always within like 
a few months, honestly, six months to like two years max that they turn around and then create the adult use market because they realized all these fears that they had and all these things they put on it that they say are going to happen and kids are going to start using it more and everybody's going to go mad and lose their mind, you know, and those things never come to pass. They never actually happen. And so they realize that, you know, cannabis isn't this big, scary thing that we all have to, you know, psych up the community about and make them afraid of it. It's really relatively harmless. And then in the industry kind of relatively moves on without any, you know, any noise, essentially, it just kind of exists and it, it kind of moves along. So I think that's probably what's going to happen in Tennessee is a very similar path to other states. And then, you know, once, you know, the first step is taken, it's essentially just like off to the races at that point of, you know, things start happening. Because like you said, David, I think these stories and when people are exposed to it or exposed to the legal market mm-hmm. and they, they walk into a dispensary for the first time and see that it's not you know, reefer madness type stuff. And it's not, you know, like weed dangling in your face everywhere. These are very sophisticated products and products that are geared towards health and wellness ultimately. And it, it isn't just flour. It's not just smoking weed and getting high. It's topicals and ointments and tinctures and, and, you know, edibles that, you know, change, completely change how individuals can consume this stuff. And, and even now we wanted to plug it on an episode earlier of, you know, the demographic that's using this the most these days or is so interested in it is probably the same demographic that was so against it. You know, like Lucy and I talk about our parents and our grandparents a lot. And and it's like those are the people that gave us the hard, hardest time about cannabis probably growing up. And then now they're the, the group that's the most interested in it and saying, you know, tell me about a vape pen or can you pick me up some salve on your next you know dispensary visit? You know, I've got, you know, arthritis or something. And and it's really incredible. And that's, I think those are the stories that need to get out there more that it can help a ton of people. And there's a huge group that is probably turned off by cannabis that can truly benefit from it. So I think the more that we focus on the education and just get that stuff out there of we're not creating a market so people can get high, we're creating a market so people have another source of, of relief and, and options. Just to, to piggyback on that as well is the opioid epidemic. We, you know, we have 5,000 plus customers um, and the stories that we hear, it's overwhelming how people are, who have been on opioids, you know, they are off them and they're using cannabis to medicate their pain and it's not addictive. So, and again, I'm not a doctor, so I can't, you know, speak, speak to that from a medical perspective, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's not the, it doesn't have the, all, all the negativity around it as, as people think. Yeah. Absolutely. When I was researching for this episode, I, I didn't, you know, realize all the laws in Tennessee. And I was disappointed to see, you know, they did just, you know, bring, introduce a bill to whatever your legislator in this year, and it got declined. And that just sucks. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you guys have been trying for sure. And the fact, you know, you still haven't decriminalized and what it's a half ounce and you can get in trouble for it. Like, that's crazy. Um, so do you know, you know, is there a timeline where you see that at least maybe medical or decrim might get passed? Or do you think it's a long way down the road still? I'm going to leave that up to you, David. <laughs> I'm giving up. <laughs> yeah, so there, there have been, uh, there was a, a full legalization bill that was introduced last year. And that did not go through. There was a medicinal bill that was proposed and it didn't have a lot of, a lot of the components of it didn't make sense. So we're working with Tennessee Growers Coalition. They're a bipartisan political action committee to draft a a bill that makes sense and throw it up there to the General Assembly and get get a senator and congressman to to pass that. 
Well, that's interesting, though. Like Jared was saying, we spoke with a House representative on our season opener, and they're having the same issues. <laughs> like they're going through this exact same process as you guys. Uh, but they were also saying that it's more of it's a it's bipartisan, right? Like it's not just the Republicans or the Democrats that are holding this back. It's kind of just really a bipartisan issue here. So hopefully, you know, everybody will come to the table and join forces and move this forward. Uh, like Eric said, you know, the economic value, the tax benefits, like small towns could probably use the money, right? So it's really not all that bad. And like Jared mentioned, you know, once they move forward and start, you know, decriminalization or medical, they normally move forward with recreational and realize it was all kind of just reefer madness over the years, right? And we could all move forward and everything's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eric can hardly wait. <laughs> I know. I feel you guys' pain, trust me. My, my hometown actually in Colorado uh, still does not allow the sale or, or cultivation or any type of marijuana businesses. And they, they had a ballot initiative that was voted on in November, a community ballot initiative. They had a group that got enough signatures. They put a ballot on the initiative to, to allow, you know, uh, marijuana sales in the city. And it passed. It totally passed. And they came through with some technicality after the November elections and and they threw the whole thing out out, out in the trash. And the city council was like, we're not even going to put it on the they were not even going to prove it or re-put it on the ballot. You guys can go through all the trouble again to get it put on the ballot again. And so uh, I can understand, you know, probably where you guys are at, just seeing my hometown and and kind of, you know, the, the trials and tribulations they're having to go through. And and then there's a very small group, I could tell you. There's a very small group, but it's a vocal minority that's completely against marijuana. You know, I respect their beliefs and, and see where they're at. But there's also a vast majority, just like there's a lot of polls throughout the, the U.S. right now that says anywhere between 60 and 80 percent of individuals are in favor of marijuana legalization. And I'll say it doesn't matter the political makeup of your state. I would say that percentage holds true with everybody. And I think what holds people back ultimately isn't politics. It's just, you know, it's there's such a stigma against mm -hmm. it that you can't even I can't even really talk about it too much in my hometown still. And like here I am, I have a podcast. We're 160 episodes deep. Uh, it's just the stigma is that strong. And so I think anytime we're trying to move things forward, I think everybody just has to understand that emotions are, are you know, they're, they're, they're tender, you know, and people have like very strong held beliefs that have been, you know, put on them or they've, you know, developed themselves over a lot of years, you know, decades. And and so that's really what we're battling right now is these, these decades old ideas that have to be squashed. And I think ultimately people have to see for their own eyes and kind of have their, their fears kind of washed away, I guess, and kind of demolished for them to, to change, to change course. So I think, you know, it'll inevitably happen. Like I usually say is cannabis isn't going anywhere. It hasn't went anywhere since prohibition started. And so prohibition did absolutely nothing but create a bigger mess. And so uh, the best thing that people who are against it could do right now is try to find some type of incentive through it. And that's a regulated market with taxes and, and, you know, uh, like laws and rules and stuff that these companies have to follow versus, you know, like I t tell people in my hometown, like you're okay with the black market profiting off of this and not having to test their products or care how they cultivate it. And, and you know, like you guys are saying, you know, Eric, that people even in the CBD market are doing some very sketch stuff. And, and I think that's, you know, you got to take that and compound that in the black market. There's no testing. There's no regulations. Uh, you don't even know where the money's going. There's no tax revenue. There's literally no benefit for the local communities uh, versus, you know, the same thing could be implemented with a lot of benefits and more control for these local communities to know uh, what's happening with it, where's it going. And um, that's how I look at legalization. There's there's more wins than there are losses and and people inevitably catch on to that. Yeah, and you know, they, they say it's a gateway drug. Uh, I still don't know who they is, but 
Um, they say it's a gateway drug, and it, and it, it is in, in a sense that it's being grouped and probably sold on the black market with other drugs, so it's guilty by association. But you know, if you actually look at the definition of a Schedule One substance, it's there's no reason you know cannabis should be in that in that group. So the only way reason it's a gateway drug is because it's been it has become illegal. If they if they legalize it, then people will understand it's it's not a gateway drug. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I haven't heard that one in a minute. I'll tell you that because I think I think once even we're we've been in a legal market now for. Uh, a while, you know, a few years now. And even that comes to pass, this idea of a gateway drug. And there's this saying now of, you know, it is a gateway drug. It's a gateway drug to a better life. And, and that's, it's hard for me to even like break down some of these like stigmas that are still out there. Cause it's like, we're so far removed from some of this stuff. And clearly it's not a gateway drug. Like I'm somebody who has had drug addiction in my family and I've consumed marijuana and I've never once went and decided to go do some of these other hard drugs. I'll be the first one to tell you that it's a, it's an individual's choice. It isn't, you know, that you smoke marijuana and you're like, let me, let me go to the, take a next step. You know, like that's, that's an individual's choice. And I think that's more of a mental health issue than it is a, a drug issue. And I'll, you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of research out there to back it up too. So that's just one of those arguments that's, you know, a straw man argument of they just throw it out there to hoping to, you know, derail you and trip you up. And it, it really doesn't have any credence. <laughs> if anything, it's a gateway to an open mind. Right. <laughs> right. We can yeah, you, do, you do have to be careful. You do have to be careful, though. You know, if you're driving, you may go under the speed limit. And you're really careful when you're driving. Yeah. And you want that. Yeah. yeah, you might be a safe driver. We were talking about that. There was a study that they did about driving while, you know, high. And they're like, they were driving slower. They were driving, you know, they had more room between the cars. So it's like, okay. Yeah, they had driving scores. And I mentioned this in, in the previous episode. But they actually found that driving while under prescription drugs or under the influence of prescription drugs was more of a risk than cannabis. And so, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that are doing that every day. And, and I know we're not even mentioning alcohol and, you know, I'm, you know, maybe that's part of the reason why it's so difficult in Tennessee is maybe alcohol feels threatened, but you know, we've, we've said a number of times there's, there's a lot more harm done in our communities with alcohol than, than cannabis. And there's, there's tons of studies that back that up as well. And, and we're not sitting here talking about alcohol prohibition again. Um, so at the very least, you know, the two should be treated as an equal, because uh, if you really want to go down the road of, you know, what's more harmful to the family and the community, alcohol's number one. And I, I hate to say it. That was the truth. <laughs> All right. Well, one final question for you, you know, so if you do move forward with legalization in your state, what systemic issues do you think that it will address? There's there's a couple in my mind that I think it'll address. And it, I think it'd be really hard to get data around this other than people's quality of life is going to be better. You know, whenever specifically veterans, you you have access, you provide them access to it. The amount of uh, PTSD, the cases of PTSD, it'll help. Just a lot of things that, that veterans go through that the normal people don't go through. Um, it relieves that people that have uh, opioid addictions. You know, there's there's a lot of things that that happen there in a positive way that just won't necessarily reflect in a lot of the studies. So I think it'll just make people's quality of life better. It'll make um, things a lot more peaceful. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Well, we are rooting for you guys in Tennessee. And honestly, what we've seen from Flow Gardens is A+. So I know, you know, when the time comes, you guys are going to be right there with the best of them offering some really high quality cannabis mm -hmm. to your consumers. So I really applaud you both on what you've been doing. Uh, but if anybody is intrigued, uh, where can they find more about your products? Uh, so you can go to our website, flowgardens.com and find us on Instagram at uh, flowgardens420. Perfect. I like that. Yeah. And if anybody's even in the South and you guys, you know, don't have access to legal cannabis and, and, uh, you know, you maybe want to experience or to kind of get a taste of, you know, what it's all about, I would highly recommend this. You know, if you're going to go and, and purchase a CBD flower, uh, this is truly, like Lucy said, the best you can possibly buy. And I was completely blown away. So, uh, you guys certainly have a future in, in the cannabis industry. And uh, I'm really proud of the both of you, honestly, for, for, you know, sticking your necks out there. I, I, like I said, you know, it's, it's tough to be in the position you're in and, and trying to really, you know, change a, a whole culture essentially, uh, after like hundreds of years of, of, you know, bad stigma. So, uh, thank you both for doing what you guys do and keeping to do it. We look forward to to watching your continued growth. Yeah. Thank you all for having us. We really appreciate it. How much? We appreciate it. All right, you guys. Well, I have one final question for you. We are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid? I'm picking lit. <laughs> <laughs> what about I, you, I would, I, would, I would echo Eric's comments. <laughs> All right. There we go. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, with that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. <laughs> This episode of the Lit and Lucid podcast is brought to you by Yuhu Digital. Yuhu Digital is a full service digital marketing agency specializing in website design, SEO, and social media management for cannabis and hemp businesses. Learn more at www.yuhudigital.com.